Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Welcome back to the Autism Helper Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to share my interview with Dr. Taylor Day. Dr. Day is a licensed child psychologist and parental coach who specializes in autism and neurodivergent affirming care. Today, we are discussing her whole family approach. I think this is such a valuable framework for working collaboratively with families in a way that is not only effective, but really going to have a positive impact on every member of that family. In this episode, we talk about what neurodivergent affirming approaches are and how parents can ensure that they are providing those strategies for their child. We also discuss the impact of a diagnosis on that whole family, siblings included. What role do siblings play in this and how Dr. Tay includes siblings and the whole family with the therapeutic work that she does. So let's jump in and hear from Dr. Tay. Hi, Dr. Tay. I am so excited to have you here on the Autism Helper Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today too. I think we're going to be touching on such an important topic today that we really haven't covered a ton on the podcast and I think will be 
really valuable for both families, but teachers supporting parents and caregivers as well. So today we're going to be talking about um, Taylor's whole family approach. And why do you feel so passionate about bringing the whole family together and really changing the narrative of autism care? Yeah. So let me give a little history because I think this really shapes the work that I do now as a psychologist. So my brother and I are 10 years apart. And when he was 23 months of age, he was diagnosed with autism. He's now 23. So this was over two decades ago, but I was 12 at the time. So I was very aware of everything that was going on and, you know, just beginning to build an understanding of autism. And he was really fortunate that where we lived, he had access to wonderful services. And I think, you know, at the time that was pretty rare. But what Mm -hmm. I realized through this journey is there was very little support for the rest of our family, for my parents, for myself, in navigating what this autism journey looks like. And the reality is, is it did impact us on a day-to-day basis. I, I say a lot now professionally that an autism diagnosis doesn't just impact your child. It impacts the whole family. And so basically, you know, long story is I, I knew I wanted to go into the autism field, kind of navigated a few different ways, decided on a PhD in clinical psychology, but I was planning to go into research. I went into academia um, once I got my PhD and was just feeling, you know, like, I don't know, it, it felt misaligned. It felt like I missed having that impact for families. And so when I launched my own private practice, which was a little over a year ago at this point, I just decided I wanted to do it different and that we needed to focus on the entire family unit and providing the support so that, you know, parents felt supported, parents knew how to support their other children, and also at the same time that the autistic child was getting the highest quality of care. Oh my gosh, I love this so much. I'm like smiling ear to ear hearing you describe this. And I love kind of hearing your your background and what brought you to this place because it feels really organic, right? You have this like background, professional background and this personal background, which come together so beautifully. Absolutely. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think I knew when my brother was diagnosed where this would lead me necessarily, but it does feel full circle. And, you know, it's really cool too, to be able to share my story. I think for so long, I was a little hesitant to share, you know, what it was like growing up as a sibling because I was like, well, autism is my brother's story. It's not mine. But then once I really learned like, no, it's our family's story and it it absolutely shaped me into the clinician I am today, but it also shaped me on a personal level as well. Yeah. A little bit anecdote on on my end. I'm a former teacher and we used to do a family field trip once a year. We started doing this, I don't know, when I was like five years, six years into teaching and we would go up to a camp in Wisconsin and all the siblings would come. And that was actually one of my favorite parts of the day was seeing the siblings connect from different families and parents connect from different families. There weren't many parent groups in our area or things where parents could get to know other families that have a child with autism. But seeing the siblings really have that space to watch their their sibling feel safe, but also be with other kids and teenagers who understood what their life was like in such a unique way. And I just don't think we have enough space for that. And we're not talking about that enough. Yeah. I think that 
program you guys did and that field trip day is so rare. I mean, I think that's incredible that y'all did that. But yeah, there isn't a lot out there like that. And I think, you know, what we typically hear too is that there are support groups. And while I think support groups can be incredible, I also hear a lot of reports from parents that they sometimes don't feel supportive. Um, mm-hmm. And th- and I think some of that is this idea of, you know, you're at different parts of the journey. And if there's not like a skilled facilitator to really help be able to implement and make change, that sometimes, yes, you can feel not alone, but then the I have heard parents say the other side of it almost feels hopeless. Or, you know, sometimes too, it doesn't feel like my child and what their needs are fit with the rest of the group in terms of what, you know, other parents' children need. Yeah. Finding that like sweet spot of a support group that you said has that skilled facilitator can really provide those connections is super challenging. And they're even though we hear like they're out there, not not that often either. So right. being able to to connect with families in the way you are, I'm sure it has such a positive impact on that whole family dynamic, including those siblings. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I will say this is one of the reasons I started a group therapy model. And so it has this community element. It's all parents of autistic children. But the advantage of of it is you're working with a psychologist who can give you, you know, tips and strategies. And then the way that I design it as well, which is part of the whole family approach, you know, at the end of the day, things don't happen on weekly intervals. You know, it's, it's awesome to be able to get any services. But what I find is all these things happen throughout the week and parents don't always know how to navigate them. So as part of my group therapy model as well, I built in, you know, unlimited support. So there's a chat that parents can connect with other with each other, but also at the same time, I'm stepping in and giving support strategies and interventions and answering questions and all of that. Oh, that's great. Can we can we scale back for a second? Can you kind of give your elevator pitch of what the whole family approach is and what your services and your model looks like. Yeah, absolutely. So I run a concierge practice and what's really cool about it is psychology, you know, without going into too many details, because I'm licensed in one state that is part of this compact, it allows me to practice in 40 states currently. So I have a telehealth-based, you know, program where I'm able to do diagnostic evaluations and provide therapy services. But at the core, at the center of everything I do is this consideration of the whole family. And, you know, what this actually looks like in in practicality is your child is, you know, if we're on the intervention side, is going to get, you know, evidence-based principles that are going to be able to support them, meaning that they ultimately, we know from research that these are effective. But I also incorporate, because this is super important as well, neurodivergent affirming approaches and helping parents learn about neurodiversity. But I take it one step further in that, you know, parents are able to have space for their own emotions, be able to process this, you know, be able to ask questions, be able to share their worries and their concerns and get the support they need. And a lot of times too, because of my personal, you know, background, but also I think it's super important. We're talking about, you know, interactions with siblings and how we can support that and how we can help siblings understand, you know, that their autistic siblings brain is wired differently, but that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. And being able to learn how to connect with their sibling as well. 
Oh, that's so valuable to have that coaching on those, you know, sibling dynamics because that's something there really isn't any manual guidebook training on regardless, uh, you know, what types of children you have, but especially when we have neurodivergent children included on on how we can support those kids having a, a strong relationship. Right, right. Yeah, you think about something like emotion dysregulation or difficulties, you know, with regulating emotions, having big feelings. That's a common example that comes up with autistic children. We know the large majority of autistic kids have difficulty regulating their emotions, but a lot of times the situations that are most dysregulating are with their siblings. And so it is trying to find this balance too of what is just, you know, sibling rivalry versus where do we maybe need more education about neurodiversity and like helping, you know, each, you know, sibling to understand how their sibling's brain thinks differently than theirs. And also then thinking about how do we balance you know, sometimes like sensory sensitivities. How do we balance, you know, that? But we also, too, want to make sure that the non-autistic sibling isn't the one that's always adapting and changing. Because the reality is, at the end of the day, they're still a kid and they still have support needs as well. Yeah. And, and kids still fight, you know, yeah. siblings are going to, are going to argue and engage in those, in those same kinds of behaviors. But you're right. It's that balance of figuring out when we need support and education and when we can let some independent problem solving happen. Totally. Totally. So you use the phrase neurodivergent affirming approaches for those that aren't familiar with what that means. Can you explain what that means and what that looks like when you are coaching families and caregivers? Yeah. So the idea of neurodiversity is that all brains think differently. And it's really about building acceptance around these differences. And so really a lot of times we think of within this neurodiversity umbrella, there's neurotypical individuals. These are often the individuals that, you know, don't have any, you know, identified disabilities, you you know, are also growing and changing along a quote-unquote typical trajectory. But then we also have this like group of neurodivergent individuals. These are the ones that often have disabilities. Autism being one of them also can be ADHD or learning disabilities, you know, but we also might see developmental delays. And so there is this difference And at the end of the day, we live in a very neurotypical world where, you know, all of our benchmarks and what we say is, you know, socially acceptable, right versus wrong are based on these neurotypical standards. And so with neurodiversity, what we're doing is we're really expanding our our understanding that just because it's different doesn't mean that it needs to be changed or fixed. And so when you're using an intervention approach that, you know, has these affirming principles or neurodivergent affirming principles, what that means is we are focused on, number one, how we can support the autistic child's strengths and also be able to you know, provide those support need areas more support. But we're focusing largely in terms of support needs on what is going to promote that child's quality of life. So we're not teaching a skill simply because it's not a neurotypical skill, but instead because we know that it's going to help them navigate the world. Um, A great example of this is eye contact. You know, 
in our neurotypical world, we're used to people looking at us, you know, and we equate when someone looks at you, that means they're attending to you. And within neurodivergent affirming approaches, we're not going to focus on eye contact. At the end of the day, there's so many different ways to be able to attend and engage. And so instead, what we're going to do, sometimes it's, you know, as you know, parents or providers or teachers shifting our understanding and we're the ones making the change of, okay, you know, this child might not be looking at me, but they can just tell me everything that I just said and being like, I don't need them to look at me. But then an example, you know, on the child support side is we might give different modalities of them being able to communicate their needs and focusing on that. And that's going to help with their self-advocacy skills. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Those are great examples. And what advice do you have when parents kind of struggle with, let's stick with this example of eye contact, on, on kind of overcoming that hump of like, it's okay that this looks different. These are supports we're going to give. And let's think about, yeah, the end goal for this child. Because, you know, I've definitely worked with parents and I know teachers listening have as well that are like, well, we need this skill. And it's more on the, the person who needs it is maybe the adult, not necessarily the child. Yeah. I mean, I think this is an indicator a lot of times that, you know, learning more about neurodiversity is really going to open up this understanding. Because this understanding of we need eye contact, that is coming from these neurotypical standards. Because, you know, deep, wired deep in our brains, what we're saying is eye contact equals attention equals learning, right? And Mm -hmm. that is that neurotypical sequence. And so I think what happens is we're so used to that, we're programmed to think that, that then when we don't see eye contact, like a teacher might worry like, oh my gosh, this kid isn't learning. Or a parent might be like, oh, they're not hearing me. And so some of it is doing that internal learning to basically deprogram what's previously been programmed in the the parent or the teacher's mind of being like, wait a minute, that that's not true, you know, for mm-hmm. this kiddo. This kiddo learns differently. And one of the things to think about too is, you know, in terms of a learning environment, if we're requiring a child to give eye contact as an indicator that they are listening and attending and learning, two things can be happening. Number one, autistic individuals, autistic adults in particular, have reported that sometimes making eye contact is very uncomfortable. And so that could be dysregulating their nervous system. And so if we're forcing it, their nervous system could become dysregulated, which isn't optimal for learning. And then number two, the thing to think about as well is, you know, our brains can only be able to do so much at once. And so if you are telling them that they need to make eye contact with you, they're going to have to spend a lot of focus and energy being like, I'm supposed to be making eye contact right now. And then they're still not learning. They're still not being able to take in that information at full capacity. So something as simple as, you know, 
we ideally want this. It's more a mindset shift on the adult end of how does this child really learn? What do they really need? And knowing that that is ultimately going to help them thrive. And one of the things we do often see with eye contact is that when we really are following the child's lead and engaging them in activities that they enjoy and their bodies are regulated, we often tend to get eye contact more naturally, but we are never requiring it. We're never prompting for it because we know, you know, how that just disrupts the whole learning process. That's a great example. And I'm sure that really resonates with parents and caregivers when you kind of dive into like, well, why do we really need this? And what would this help? And let's look at what's successful right now. And like you said, really kind of instigating that mindset shift that maybe sometimes educators or parents might need to get to that place of those neurodiversity, neurodivergent affirming practices. Right. And I I also want to say that it is okay if as the adult as the parent, as the teacher, you feel discomfort with this because you're like, but I really feel like they should be making eye contact. Like it is okay if this doesn't come intuitively to you, you know, where you're just like, okay, I'm ready to drop this. It's going to be a process because for so many years you were given all this information that again, eye contact equals attention equals learning. And so be patient with yourself, give yourself grace in this. And I really encourage you, you know, I love TikTok and Instagram for this start, you know, just reading about neurodiversity and this huge mindset shift that is happening. And I think I find most times when parents learn about it, that it actually matches on to their parenting style even more because ultimately they just want to make sure that their kid is happy and healthy and thriving and neurodivergent affirming approaches put that at the center. Yes. And that's, I think, great advice for educators and clinicians too, yes. especially because, you know, we maybe what you were taught in, in school 10, 15, 20 years ago is now different than best practices and evidence-based strategies right now. And, mm-hmm. and that's a change. And, you know, change is uncomfortable for everyone. You know, I'm a BCBA and I, the field of ABA is, I think, going through a very much needed shift right now. And you can definitely see practitioners kind of be in that discomfort a little bit that we were taught escape extinction and these were strategies we were taught and now we're hopefully shifting towards a more trauma-informed approach. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's very needed in parts of, of the community, but it might feel uncomfortable or different at first. Absolutely. And I wasn't trained on any of this. I graduated with my PhD in 2020. So that wasn't very long ago. I literally never heard of any of these concepts. And then when I, you know, launched my practice and honestly, like started sharing about autism on social media, I also started listening. So one of the best resources is going to autistic adults and listening to their lived experiences. That's not going to be published in the research. You know, we just, we haven't caught up is, is the reality of it. And also the way that research works and interventions are designed. But I think we can take the knowledge that we have and really incorporate different perspectives. And this is one of the reasons on the child side too, I talk about, you know, I use a lot of evidence-informed principles. Um, I do still use CBT, you know, for example, but I'm also willing to pivot and navigate and bringing in more of these affirming approaches as well. And I have no problem. Like a great example of this um, 
is I was trained in early start Denver model, which is a naturalistic developmental behavioral intervention following the child's lead. And that does prompt for eye contact more. It does it in a really naturalistic way. But honestly, I just choose not to focus on that part. And I educate parents on what I just talked about. And what we do see is, again, by following the child's lead and engaging them, you know, ultimately we are getting more eye contact, but we're not putting that as a goal. So it is also okay to take an existing intervention and be like, you know, what really is working here? Yes. Especially with how different every child is. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different skills we could look at, you know, what's, what's age appropriate, what's in line with their interests, what's in line with their personality and unique needs that there's really not going to be one perfect solution for any, any child. Totally. So kind of going back, because we had talked about the siblings, which I love this concept of including the siblings in the work that you're doing. Why is this, why is education important for the whole family, including those siblings during the diagnosis process and beyond? I mean, I think ultimately getting a diagnosis of autism is hard. And I think, you know, this is one of the things, even as a professional, I'm going to share openly. I struggled with this idea of neurodiversity for a little bit of like, okay, we're so used to, you know, as clinicians, and I think teachers often are trained in a similar way of thinking of autism in terms of the medical model of everything is deficit-based. And what neurodiversity talks about is that there are differences. And again, we don't have to fix or change them. And I think that, you know, that was a huge shift that we're, well, that is a huge shift we are starting to see. But we also have to keep in mind that all of our systems have that medical model concept in mind. So if your child is at school, your non-autistic child is at school and learning about autism, they might be learning about more stereotypical presentations of autism. And they might be going, wait, my sibling's autistic. This doesn't seem to explain how my sibling is. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And you as the parent, you go to, you know, get the diagnosis and more likely than not, when you read that diagnostic report, it's telling you everything that is quote unquote wrong with your child, everything that doesn't match on to our neurotypical standards. And so, you know, it's easy too to go into that mindset of, you know, some what's wrong with my child? How do I fix them if we constantly are focusing on the deficits? And so I think really two things are important here is number one, Getting a diagnosis of autism is hard. And I think really acknowledging all of the emotions that come with that are so incredibly important. I see a lot of parents take on the diagnosis and hop into intervention mode. And understandable, you want to help your child and your feelings don't disappear. And the reality is, is it's easy to pretend to push them down, but all of your children are going to be able to sense this. You know, your non-autistic children are going to be able to sense a shift. And also your schedule might fill up more where all of a sudden you're having to take your autistic child to all these different appointments. And that might leave less bandwidth for your non-autistic non-autistic children. So I think addressing the emotions is really important. But then also, like I talked about earlier, I think, you know, neurodiversity doesn't just start with learning about your autistic child's brain. It literally is every brain, everyone's brain thinks differently. And we need 
all kids to understand this concept, to be able to be more accepting. And I think on the parental level too, it's going to help you understand your child, but it also can help you understand your reactions and how your brain is wired and everything is interconnected with the family. Yes. And, and if you miss, if you kind of don't include that piece, the emotion piece for the parents, the emotion piece for the siblings, I just imagine there being such a big void. And all I kept thinking when you're talking is like potential sources of like resentment, guilt, you know, lack of confidence in your skill as a parent that all these things could really build up and become such an insurmountable problem. Right. Yeah. And I think it's crazy to me that the field hasn't shifted in this way, but I I will say I talk with many parents as part of my diagnostic evaluations. Like we talk about parental emotions really, really explicitly. And even if a parent's like, yep, I knew this was autism, like most of the time they're still crying during feedback because it's different when a, a provider confirms your child's diagnosis. But also you might walk out of that appointment feeling good about it, but we're human. Our emotions change constantly. And so just having that conversation and giving yourself permission to feel, it has such a huge impact. And it's crazy how little that that is addressed. And so what I find, and you hit the nail on the head, is a lot of parents then are feeling shame and guilt over their child's diagnosis and wondering what they did wrong, what they need to do better, you know, and constantly questioning themselves, is this the right decision? You know, and when we can actually recognize all of the complexity of the emotions, it's also going to allow you to make decisions with a more clear mind and understanding the full picture. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, I, I spend most of my days talking to teachers and, you know, teachers are oftentimes the, the kind of point person with a parent, maybe even a parent that got a diagnosis later into elementary school or shows up at preschool three years old with this new diagnosis and hasn't had early intervention. And they're their person. They might be the person that gets it all. And you might feel like, you know, part of your role as a teacher now is is therapeutic with that parent. But and and that that parent might need that, that support mm-hmm. and that person to connect with because they might not have anyone else. Yeah. So I have a couple thoughts for teachers that actually came to mind is, you know, I talk a lot with parents about you need to be collaborating with your teachers and coming at it from, okay, here's what's happening at home. You know what's happening at school. How can our minds meet together to really support this child? And I do think that sometimes parents, because of the natural just hierarchy that exists in systems, are afraid to sometimes speak up. And so I invite you as a teacher, to, and I know it can be nerve-wracking from a teacher standpoint too, but, you know, just inviting that conversation, you know, asking how how can I support your child? What do you know about your child at home that would be really helpful for me at school? Um, and the more that you can collaborate with parents, I and I listen, I understand your time is limited and you have a very, very full schedule. And so this does take extra effort. But I often, I love this metaphor. I use it in so many things, this idea of slowing down to speed up, that sometimes laying this foundation, slowing down, taking the time to ask is actually going to make everything else go so much more seamless and quicker and easier, you know, on the back end. Um, So the more that you can have that collaborative conversation. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, that that metaphor is so 
so perfect to explain, I think, that parent-teacher relationship because if a teacher can give more time up front to build rapport, to build that connection, you can avoid a lot of those potential misunderstandings down Mm -hmm. the road and have just such a smoother path with that family moving forward, which is what we all want, whatever side we are on. Absolutely. And I know it's hard too because and teachers and school districts have different rules about this too, but I will say I get a lot of parents, and I I explain why this happens, but a lot of parents being like, well, why did the teachers never say anything about autism? And I talk about, you know, how certain systems they're not able to. But even if you don't ever bring up the word autism, if you see concerns in your classroom, at least initiating that conversation. And I will say I've seen the opposite for teachers that do this. It creates a cascading effect where parents start to be like, huh, okay, the teacher's concerned. Maybe I have been a little concerned. It can be really validating to what the parent's experiencing at home. And I love coming at this from a a question type approach of, hey, here's what I'm noticing in the classroom. Have you noticed any of these at home? So it, it again, it establishes that alliance that you guys are in this together and not being like, here's what's wrong with your kid or here's what they're doing wrong or here's what you're doing wrong as a parent that's causing this. So I love asking these open-ended questions to get their input and then you guys can put the data together. And I find a lot of times parents will be like, well, do you think I need to get them evaluated? And ultimately you have to follow policies you have at your (laughs) school. But I think that that starts to plant the seed. But you're right. That validation piece might be what a lot of parents need too. That like, I'm the only one that sees it. Maybe it's just me. But when someone else, even just an open-ended question could be like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't ignore this. You're right. Yeah, exactly. So Yeah. And so just to touch on this, like I talk about the whole family approach, but this is also where, you know, having this entire team is so incredibly important. And so I place a really, really big emphasis on care coordination. Like all of my patients, I'm reaching out to their teachers. I'm understanding what's going on at school and how I can help to facilitate that relationship because, you know, teachers and or other clinicians like speech language pathologists, occupational therapists, if they're working with the BCBA, you know, the more that we can have all the minds meet together, this is going to support the family even more in this really holistic way so that there is also consistency across environments, which is important for the kid, but it's also important so that the parent knows what to focus on um, at home. Yes. Oh my God. We could have a whole other episode on that. I'm like that team right. collaboration piece. Yeah. Because so many poor parents, I think, are are forced into that role of being the point person between yes. everyone. And it's it's, it's too hard. much for them. Yeah. yeah. They need to be the parent. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I kind of realized. It was like, wait, I can take this over. And it's <laughs> it's one of my favorite things that I do, being able to, you know, bring this team together and I will say like the parent is just like a lot of times is like, thank you. And to be honest, sometimes with the school system, I think parents can go and advocate for their kids and it can potential. There's a lot of emotions that come with that more often than not. And so then sometimes schools aren't listening to the parent. I wish it wasn't like this, but sometimes coming in as the psychologist and being like, here's what I see, here are my concerns. I do find that schools tend to be more responsive to that. Yeah, I could see that definitely. 
Well, thank you so much. We have, I could like chat with you all day. We have covered a lot in a half an hour. So I, I so appreciate you joining me. Where can people go to learn more from you and your, and learn about your practice? Absolutely. So, um, one of the main things I love just providing autism education. So I do that a lot on Instagram and TikTok. So it's just the period DR period Tay. So the Dr. Tay with periods in between. Um, my website is currently, you know, getting revamped, but it's drtaylorday.com. And then also, Sasha, I'm going to, I have a free resource for parents to learn more about neurodivergent affirming care and how to be able to navigate the system to build a collaborative, cooperative team. Um, So I'd love to share that link with you as well so parents can have that free resource. Perfect. We will put that in the show notes as well as a link to your Instagram and TikTok and website. So thank you again so much for joining me. Thank you. This was wonderful. I appreciate you giving the space and opportunity to be able to talk about this topic today. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.